This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. And we here to talk books. <laughs> That's what we do every week. One of us reads a book and tells the other person about it. What are you laughing mm-hmm. about over there, Giggle Puss? Nothing, nothing. Just low-key disappointments like how my TV ding-dang broke. Your TV ding-dang broke? My TV ding-dang broke just when I need it the most. <laughs> <laughs> Animal Animal Crossing just came out. Yes, true. I'm watching that HBO documentary about how the McDonald's Monopoly game was a big scam. I'm excited to watch excellent. that. Yes, yes. And my Ding Dang TV broke. Just the whole left half of it was like, you know what? I've had a good time. All but the, I'm done. All Goodbye. the tubes fell out. All the all, all the, the tubes fell out of my TV. All over the floor. All the pixels peeled off the screen at the ew, same time. Ew. And littered my basement floor, and now I don't got I my I got a ding dang little TV, and, and I'm just I'm mad. There but is like nothing but funnier not. than a little TV in a spot where a big TV should go. Am I right? Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's doing its best. I feel bad <laughs> bad mouthing my little spare TV that lives in my office. It's not a bad TV. It's just living in the wrong room <laughs> right now. It's living in the. It's moved to a room that's too big for it, and it looks silly and it's self conscious about it. What? <laughs> What small, completely manageable disappointments have you dealt with this week, would you say? Well, you know, we're all just trying to get by this week. We're very happy to have our listeners here keeping us company. We're here to keep you company. And what little disappointments have I managed? Just like a little surmountable disappointment to kind of put things in perspective and maybe make people at home crack a little smile like when my TV broke. Um, There was, we had a mouse in our house. And Who, did you get him? Did uh, you get him? Not, not right away. And that was <laughs> oh, the <no>. disappointment. <laughs> Nothing worse than a mouse that you know is there, but you can't see. Well, I feel that way about a spider. Well, one of those house centipedes, when I know there's one down there. I would love to tell I lost you. Him. I would love for you to tell me about the book Guards, Guards by Terry Pratchett. But first, I have to tell you that I saw this mouse several times. And <laughs> it took us 10 minutes to trick him to go back into the kitchen and then uh, he got away. But then, got him the next day. Stupid nice. mouse. Ooh. At what point, how many times do you have to see him before he's your pet and you can't, he's like a common we law mouse We were close. He was, okay. I was going to ask him for rent money, like three more sightings from then. <laughs> uh, but now he's dead and he can't pay me anything. Andrew, what's up with this book, though? <laughs> guards, guards. <laughs> I've never read this book. That's the, no. That is the premise of the show. You read it. I have not. You've never read it before. Yeah, so this is a, another book in Terry Pratchett's long-running Discworld series. Terry Pratchett is an author who uh, was born in 1948, died in 2015 yeah. after um, after a battle with Alzheimer's, yes. early onset Alzheimer's. He was only 66 when he died. Um, 
And yeah, so he wrote as we we've talked about the very first book in the Discworld series, The Color of Magic, which is episode two hundred and something. Eighty nine. Um it was two years ago, almost to the day. Wow. And yeah, I I mean I started there because it's number one, but as anybody who's ever come to our podcast knows <laughs> I would tell people not to start at number one. I would tell someone to start at a later one after we knew what we were doing. Yeah. And so the um, the listener reaction to that one was, you know, there there are Discworld books you could do that would tell that would show you more about what Discworld is about. And so I wanted to do one of those. Yeah. 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 I think and that this is one of them one was a Patreon recommendation. But I think, yeah, we st- we always struggle with a series where it's like, well, why shouldn't we just start at the beginning? And well, in some series is are meant to be like yes. they are one thing. But this yes. is there are many running stories within the Discworld series but, correct but it's not one big long like front to back thing that no. he wrote for like no, 30 no, no, years no. or whatever yeah his first the color magic was 1983 this one was 1989 it, it was, was the, the eighth book eighth the book eighth book 83 to 89 <laughs> this dude wrote eight books yeah I think it was 1987 he had given up his job at the electricity board to pursue full-time writing um, he wasn't even doing it full-time he wasn't even doing a full in time. In the two years since we did the last Discworld episode of this podcast, I've written none books. <laughs> yeah, well, your name's not Terry Pratchett. Your name's Perry Trashit. No, stop. Okay, just, try, <laughs> just trying something out. No, know. but New Year, new my me. new improv. Um, yeah, okay. It's and Marsh. in Go, 1996, uh, seven years after this book was published, Pratchett became the best-selling author in the UK. So he he had a pretty good 90s. Not everyone had a good 90s. I think Terry Pratchett had a pretty good 90s. Terry Pratchett and Weezer <laughs> had a good 90s. Yeah, that's the only good decade the they had. Um, I just the notes that I have from last episode that might pertain to our discussion just like disc world stuff that we might want to know. Sure. Um, it's set on a disc. Elephants are on top of a turtle walking through space. I have that. Mm-hmm. Um, the books have lots of like fantasy cliches and also incorporate like major historical events in the quote unquote real world. I think there are some books that actually like characters interact with a version of our world. Um, and this is one of several arcs. This is the Night Watch arc or the City Watch arc. Yeah, the uh, the City Watch of the city of Ankh-Morpork. Ankh-Morpork. I, I think we talked about briefly in Color, Color of Magic. Magic because the story is there for a little while and it's this long running, like huge location. Sure, sure, in sure, all sure. the Discworld books. But yeah, so this is uh, Guards Guards is the first one in '89. Then, um short story called theater of cruelty in 93 uh, men at arms also in 93 feet of clay in 96 jingo in 97 the fifth elephant in Whoa. 99 which is i think one that you called out as being one that the title made you excited i do i want to know time. what the what a i want to know how the first four elephants feel about the fifth one Mm-hmm. And be and where did it come how from? It, how it ties into the film, The Fifth Elephant. Yeah. Fifth Element. <laughs> uh, Night Watch, 2002. Thud in 2005. And Snuff in 2011. So we got really into those one world 
one word titles yes. as he went forward. Well, and I imagine he is dipping in and out of this series as he's writing the rest of the 40 some. It's 40 some books. It's 40 some, yeah, yeah. cuz like we we he wrote at least one a year with like three exceptions from okay. between when he started and when he passed away, including at least one that was posthumous. Sure. Um this is also being the, so the series of stories about the Ankh-Morpork City Watch is being worked into a BBC America TV series called The Watch. Yeah. Um, it's been in the works in some form since like 2011, since before Pratchett died in 2015. Um, but it is due to finally premiere sometime this year, allegedly. Like it's been fully cast and shooting has begun or finished or you know it, it's actually in the works somewhere where i think sometimes we get to we get we, we get to the section of wikipedia that's about tv or film rights and the last thing is from like three years ago <laughs> and you go to search for it and all the news articles are also for, from three years ago and you can't find out what no this, this this show this, this looks has like a, a wikipedia page yeah um and the guy playing the main character who i'm sure we'll talk about this episode sam vimes is the uh the the dude who co- Comes back from the dead all the time on Game of Thrones. Um, Beric Dondarrion, wow, Beric Mandalorian, that fan favorite, <laughs> the, the guy. And he was Barbaric a- Dandelion. Everybody's <laughs> favorite Game of Thrones character is going to be on our TVs. Game again. Old I'm Thrones, so yeah. Um, this book, I think it was this book, not the rest of the series, um, was actually the inspiration for the first like Discworld. PC game, which was very popular and did very well. Mm-hmm. Sure, um, it was one of I the can't like. Imagine why? <laughs> it was one of those um, point and click kind of like Monkey Island, Sierra, LucasArts style adventure games with lots of like puzzles, and it's a good vehicle for the written word, right? Yeah. Um, and which Andrew, it had a DOS version, a Mac version, a PlayStation version, and Ooh. a Sega Saturn version. That's a what an interesting <laughs> like three weeks in gaming that yeah. must have been when this game came out. Uh, but no, it was very popular, uh, and the it referenced other Discworld stuff. But because I think this book was pretty recent at the time of its development, um, it cribbed heavily uh, from this. And this one was obviously very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, should we just get in? Is there other Discworld stuff you want to? remind us of that's useful yeah i just wanted to so we talked about last time we talked about discworld um pratchett himself says that he was several books into the series before he discovered what plotting was yeah sure like how to structure a story instead of just instead of just doing things that were entertaining um, not to say that Color of Magic had no story in it, but that it wasn't super memorable. I don't, and I just remember there was a goofy wizard, and that's most of most of what was going on. Okay. Um, but this book works in some like more serious thematic elements. Not that it's not very humorous, but it was different enough in tone from previous Discworld books that this uh, author and critic named John Clute. Mm. Um, took issue with it a little bit um saying that um the monologues that get more serious have all the ring of another sphere of discourse and they come close to shattering the comic pulse of the discworld whoa stick to comedy the discworld discourse welcome to my chat room (laughs) hey terry pratchett stick to stick to goofs yeah 
leave the serious stuff to he even like <laughs> clute even like he's his problem isn't even that it's poorly written it's just like this isn't what i'm here for How hey, are you, why are you why are you shoving Listen, these these thoughts about the nature of humanity into my goofy we have luck. all we have all of us on planet earth have mocked people for being john clute <laughs> or <laughs> felt that exact way about a thing that we liked right like we are we i don't come to this I'm not trying to listen to Weezer do Toto's Africa, but Weezer's doing Toto's Africa, and I have to live in that world also, right? I wish the people responsible for the new Star Trek would put it down and give it to somebody mm. who has any sense for what people thought was important about that franchise. Yes. How about that? Yes, yes. Because I've tried, Craig, I've tried so hard. <laughs> So like let's let's I'm recognize meeting, I am meeting these shows like eighty percent of the way and they yes. cannot always get there. Let's Ugh. recognize that, you know, sometimes we're all John Clute and sometimes, you know, we we ain't. We're that's it. That's all I got. Let's ta- You're talk about it. Either born John Clute or you live long enough to become John Clute. Look around the table. If you don't see John Clute, you're John Clute. Yeah. Or he wasn't invited. Well, he definitely was not invited. <laughs> um, anything else about the world of Discworld that we need a reminder of that the book won't tell us about? Um, this is all, I mean, it's all set in one location, Ankh Morpork, and. Like we talked about last time, like there, I think there are things that Pratchett revisits, but he's not so meticulous in his world building or his system building that you need to know how systems work because the systems work the way they need to work for the plot to work. Sure, yes. And so there's not really a ton of. I mean, I'm I'm not a Discworld expert, obviously, but one of the reasons why this is a good starter Discworld book is that it is the start of this. Uh, you know, self-contained narrative tunnel within the Discworld books. You're not a disc jockey is what you're saying? No, I'm not a disc jockey. Do you think John Clute's fans are called cloudists? If they're not, they better start. Like, you know, people play the flute called cloudists? I, I know what... I'm picking up what you're putting down mm-hmm. over here. Um, I did pull some one-star Goodreads reviews of this book. Oh, thank you for... thank Thanks for taking me here. Um, I love this place. And... The Jonathan wrote a review in 2008, and he said, uh, I can't stand Pratchett. I think those that like him are people with absolutely no appreciation for internal consistency and contiguousness. <laughs> his books make no sense. He invents new rules in his worlds for absolutely no reason, and he absolutely rambles. I could write a Pratchett book in 30 minutes, just stream of consciousness it out, and don't worry about any kind of rhyme, reason, sense, or purpose. So that's a guy that is mad about how lost the... ended <laughs> he's mad about how thoroughly he's missed the point yeah he's a guy who really wants all of the pieces to come together and some fiction does that better than other i i get it um I'm, excuse me michelle said i read this book as part of a book club it's just not my kind of book sorry ryan smiley face <laughs> who's ryan <laughs> i there are there is a place for books with a meticulously crafted internal thing yeah and this and this isn't it like i can have problems with the way lost ended (laughs) such a good tentpole reference maybe i'll watch all of lost in the coming weeks oh my god 
No, <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to say no to you again. I think I get like three per episode where I just get to stop the conversation in its tracks and tell you, no, don't do that. I didn't want to talk about Lost here, not yet, anyway, until I watched well, the rest of the about, show. You want to talk about Lost later? Yes, I do all the time. Um, how do you respond to Jonathan's comment, though? What? Defend this book. Oh, it's good. It's funny. <laughs> you can't the the I could write this in thirty minutes thing. That's no, that's it, just a, well, I mean, obviously, you know, he's he's exaggerating, whatever, whatever. But that Pratchett makes this sort of stream of consciousness thing look mm, effortless and mm. dashed off is it would be super hard to replicate. Like you couldn't you probably could not actually do it very skillfully because sure. it is. It's always playing with like the the spellings and the pronunciations of words and like wordplay. There's this uh, guy, Nobby. Who um, Nobby had survived any number of famous massacres by not being there. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. I buy that. That's good. Um, that kind of stuff. Noted. Noted author Brandon Sanderson wrote an article. Um, that, what guy, hasn't that guy written? Yeah, I know. Uh, he wrote about kind of why Pratchett is among the the list of authors who like doesn't get. Uh, major literary awards um, but is still very well regarded um, and like sings praises for his wordplay his illusions his characters he says maybe it's the humor long-standing wisdom in Hollywood states that comedies no matter how brilliant don't take top prizes if you want to sell tickets you make people laugh if you want to win awards you make them cry as the poet once said I can't get no respect (laughs) 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 and I just want to give Sanderson props for that reference um (laughs) But yeah, it seems like, but everything I read about this book, Andrew, and now I kind of want to learn about what actually is in it, is that like, this is the part where Pratchett, as you alluded to, learned how to maybe do plots um, and learned how to balance humor with like something else. And, And that's not to say that there's no humor, but that maybe he had something else to say or to think about. So I think this book works for me because it does combine the silliness with a, something with a little bit more weight to it. Like Pratchett's style works for me here because he also clearly has a really good understanding of just like basic solid fantasy chops. Okay. And his understanding of those rules is what makes him good at like breaking them while right. also sort of bring them back in and and adhering to them as, you know, as serves his purposes. So give me the give me the world build. What's happening here? Uh, so we're in the city called Ankh-Morpork. Yeah. And I hate to make a Star Wars reference, but it's um, like kind of the Moss Eisley sort of situation. Hey, some, you know, it's villainous hive of scum and villainy or whatever. Yeah, yeah that's, that, what it that's is. the line. <laughs> that's that famous line. Um it is it is this big sprawling city that is old and it's all built up on itself and it is like split in two by this super polluted river and everybody in it most people in it are sort of morally ambiguous at best yeah they're all chaotic neutral love it yeah but it sort of hangs together sort of um there's this so let's talk about a little bit about the the politics of ankh morpork i would love to learn about the politics of ankh morpork there is this guy named the Patrician who leads the city. Okay. And he 
patricians are usually either overthrown or assassinated. Like there are not, there are not a lot of peaceful transfers of power that happen here. Um, and one of the ways that this particular patrician has sort of preserved his own power is by, so for example, there is a lot of crime in Ankhmore pork. So what do you do? You legalize the crime. And then once the crime is legalized and all the thieves are in a guild, you tell them, you know, this is how much crime you can do. This is your crime quota. Okay. And then people and people can live their lives around that or like pay to avoid it. Like the, there oh. is a, there's a system here. And it makes it more predictable and easier to control. So there are different guilds for like merchants and thieves and assassins. It's one big hamsterdam, is what you're saying. It's a big hamsterdam okay. where everything is legalized. And in a everything is legalized, but everybody works within the system. So there is a system. Does that make sense yeah, to you? Yeah, no, we've all agreed. It's not it's not deadwood. It's not like no law. It's like not a lot of laws and we're all in agreement as to how they're gonna work. Yes. Okay. Um, and so one side effect of the fact that this system is corrupt, but sort of balances itself out is the actual police, like the city watch is mm-hmm. basically pointless and useless and not really, they don't really serve much of a purpose because you can't arrest thieves who are all doing the legally <laughs> prescribed amount of thieving, you know? Sure. Are they appointed by the state, the city watch, or are they like amateur cops you're okay so the appointed by the state slash amateur cops thing is you're asking for too much Mm. system (laughs) some people are just like in the watch and then one guy whose name is carrot who was who's a six foot five or six foot six human who was raised by dwarves and believes he's a dwarf oh very elf okay and he's you know like a dwarf he takes everything very literally and has a strong sense of Justice. So he just comes to the city to join the watch because he thinks it's going to be a noble pursuit. His idea of this institution is formed by this like hundreds of years old book of laws that he's completely memorized that is no longer applicable. This is good. I like this setup. This is good. Yeah. Okay. So he's like extreme gallant. Like if yeah, you're yeah, from yeah, Goofus yeah. and Gallant. Yes. I've heard of Goofus and Gallant. Yes. Goofus and Gallant. Christ. Um. So that get, that sort of lays the groundwork. The book is about the watch, and the watch starts this book by being pretty unimportant. Okay. Captain Vimes, the guy who runs it, is drunk all the time. Just all the time. All the time. And he doesn't really have a lot going on because there's get to nothing be captain? to do. And it's not important. Okay, great. <laughs> That's fine. It's not that important. It tells me something about the world that it's not important. That's true. Yeah. Okay. He's drunk all the time. Carrot has shown up. Carrot, Carrot has shown up, and then Nobby is one of the other guys, and then there's this big old beefy sergeant guy named Colon. Yep. Okay. And they and these are this is our motley crew mostly. Um so let's back up a little bit. The book starts with these figures in hoods who are all sort of malingerers. Ooh, malingerers. They're kinda yeah, they're kinda ne'er-do-wells. They um, are pa- they don't really they haven't really succeeded very much in their chosen fields, and that gives them a lot of resentment. And there's this mysterious figure who leads this society who who 
recognizes that there is like power in this resentment that can be harnessed Whoa. and turned to his own. Okay, this is getting real. <laughs> yeah, I don't like I don't like this one bit. Who they, and he can turn this to his own purposes. Mm. So um this is the supreme the unique and supreme lodge of the elucidated brethren of the Ebon Knight. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and it is this society wants to overthrow the patrician and put up a king who the guy who runs the society, the Supreme Grand Master, can control. Okay, okay. So And so they are using a, a book of magic that he stole from the library, or that the society stole from the library, to, uh, to summon a dragon. And so the plan is you summon this dragon, and then your puppet king who you've pre-selected rides into the city, he like pokes the dragon with a sword one time and then you unsummon the dragon. He disappears and your heroic dragon slayer becomes the king. Cause that's how it works in stories. Yes. And then fascism or something afterwards, I presume. <laughs> but yeah, some, this is some sort of power play ruse to mixed usur- with like fantasy trope. Like yeah. Okay. They are all talking about the trope of the, the heir to the throne who goes off into the woods for like a hundred years and hands down a, a sword and a story from okay. father to son to for generations. Very Lord of the Rings. Well, that's like, yeah, Aragorn that's interesting archetype. To th- interesting yeah. to think about Pratchett and I guess you know Adams is writing sci Douglas Adams, who's the like the sci-fi version of Pratchett. I think for a lot of folks, but like we've talked a lot, I think, in some episodes about the long shadow that lord of the rings cast on fantasy in general and this coming what 50 years after that 40 years after that is like writing fantasy that's aware of it as opposed to like i'm gonna write my own thing and not like explicitly referencing tolkien but like it's playing with it as opposed to just cordoning it off and pretending it doesn't exist yeah and it, it's hard to because especially if you're writing for an audience that i think knows it's fantasy yeah, yeah. tropes like an audience of nerds it is hard to remember what this was like now i came in at like the very end of it like a f- few years before the movie started to come out but tolkien for years and years was like well known in fantasy circles but it was not like a widely it was yes. not among like the wider public, uh, especially. Can you widely consumed work? I don't think like it was. It, you could not make a reference to Frodo or the One Ring or whatever, and have it be mostly universally understood the way you can do now. Yeah, what did Star Wars? Did, like, what's the what's the arc of that for Trek? Because like, when was Trek huge relative to the original run? I don't know. That's a that's hard. I mean, I think it peaked with the next generation. But yeah, yeah. There was. I mean, you know, the, there were the films big, and stuff. Well, yeah, but the, like the big, the big build for Trek was like the original series runs from like sixty six or sixty seven to sixty nine, and then it gets canceled, and then it becomes super popular in syndication. Oh, okay. And there's this sustained fan base for it that finds a way to like organize and put on these conventions and and. You know, and, and generate a, a level of observable, sustained interest in a thing that was hard to do before the internet existed and yeah, made fandom yeah. really easy and then even more toxic, I yeah. think. Yeah, and then blocks <laughs> and then blockbuster movies happened in the eighties, like and that just kinda changed a lot about how fandom works also. All right. 
that's a so good there's point not, about Tolkien. That's, I hadn't really thought about that. That's a that's a good um that's a good opportunity for me to tell everybody how much I know about Star Trek, but I don't think it's <laughs> as directly applicable <laughs> applicable here. Sure, 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 sure. Applicable. Um, so this is okay. So the the characters are aware of the fantasy tropes. They're taking advantage of the fantasy tropes. Uh, where does the watch come in in this scheme that is happening? Uh, so Carrot comes to town, and he is you know the, this body of guards that is kind of operating without a purpose sees this young man who's apparently invincible and just goes around arresting everybody for violating all these hundreds of years old laws that nobody knows about and has not bothered to follow in a long time. He, especially in, in Vimes sort of inspires this feeling of, you know, I used to believe in things once. Also. Oh, okay. You know? Sure. So Carrot's showing up and, and being an upstanding member of the, of the guards sort of inspires Vimes to take these, there, there is a, so the first time the dragon gets summoned, he is in like a poor part of town and he just like incinerates a few people, leaving only their silhouettes on the wall and oh some like piles of ashes. And Vimes like sees this. They're walking back from a bar that Carrot has just thoroughly trashed in his zeal for punishing lawbreakers. Oh my God. And Vimes sees this and decides he wants to investigate because there's something, there's clearly something going on here. Okay. And he would and not have done that if Carrot had not entered his world. Is what, yeah, because yeah. he's like in the, he's in the bottle all the time. Sure, 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 sure. And Carrot kind of shakes, kind of wakes something up in him that makes him want to do his job and, like, you know, believe in something again. Is it, so is that's it nice. made clear at all that Vimes is like, is the man to do that? Like, if not for his disaffection, he would be a good night watch cop or something. Like, I mean, he seems does like he have a decent enough guy. Stuff? That's a yeah, he's fine. Okay, nobody in the book, like Carrot, is is sort of a fighting savant. <laughs> but I don't think anybody <laughs> That's a good in the character book is, type. I don't, yep. I don't think anybody in the book is supposed to be like particularly skilled or good. And this actually gets into the um the thematic stuff that that we can either like break into now or or well, we can if it's relevant, let's go for break it. Break into later. Yeah, you just you keep asking questions about I don't know, about people's like backgrounds and stuff that doesn't get immediately unveiled. Like you don't you don't you don't get a big story dump about anybody. You just kind of learn bits about them and drips and drabs throughout the book. And then you have a picture of them as a character by the end. Okay. One um, of the reasons I'm asking that though, is that like Vimes is a character like an Aragorn say, that's going to have some like, Oh, they're actually this person. Like that's no, the, he's that's not. The really tr- like okay. That. That's kind of what I was like alluding to with my questioning, but it sounds like in all of the like very positive write-ups of this series, really mention the Vimes character arc as like someone who came from being a mess into becoming like a respected captain and gentleman. And if one of your like problems with these Discworld books is that they're too self-contained and disconnected and wonky, like dive into this arc because you actually get to spend time with these characters and they grow and change. Yeah. Like I'm trying to think if they're, who's the best character in the wire who like starts as kind of a slobby cop, but then becomes kind of a more virtuous one. Does like Carver do that kind of a little Carver? Yeah. Carver is actually a good 
Yeah, because he moves. I up think that the would ranks. be the analog that I would go to. Yeah, sure. This is just requiring a lot of, of pop culture <laughs> pulls from our audience, well, which I'm sorry about. But, that's, <laughs> but like Pratchett's all about like alluding to other works, and you know, so we're in the spirit of the book. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Carver's not a bad a bad one because he's. I think he ends up being a little bit more limited than it sounds like Vimes ends up, but that's that's. Yeah, I'm, I'm just yeah. I'm, yeah, 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 the, the, yeah. the story arc is somebody who is a like knows how to be a good person, but doesn't have a reason to be until some oh yeah something mm-hmm. comes along and kind of jostles them. I dig that awake or into a different like pattern of thinking, and their and their like virtue or skill or or whatever is allowed to like manifest. Cool. Okay. And okay. become like a big part of their character again. Like, you know, I don't really have a great sense of Vimes beyond like he will look at like his armor or something and remember like wanting something better or like remember it looking better. And you get the impression of a guy who used to believe in something and yeah, yeah. used to think the guards stood for something and just hasn't in a really long time. He hasn't had sure. a reason to in a long time. And that's kind of where I'm I'm pulling his, his character bits from. Okay, cool. Um, do they end up like fighting the good fight? Yeah, but it's all like sideways Pratchett <laughs> stuff. It's all goofy. Like I and I enjoyed it a lot. It just it makes it a little hard to summarize. So Vimes, as he is trying to investigate stuff about dragons, he goes to um, to this lady Sybil Ramkin, who is this sort of old money aristocratic lady who raises little swamp dragons as pets for other aristocrats. And she would be the only one who would know anything about dragons. They, they reckon. And so she gets involved. There's like this little funny misfit dragon named Errol who he is just like a little weird toy dragon and he doesn't know how to make any flames, but he seems like he really has some potential and he and Vimes really vibe. Okay. And so what ends up happening is that, okay, the guy who's trying to overthrow the patrician, he does what he wants. Like he has, he calls the dragon in and at this last time, like before the dragon flies and meets this like puppet King guy who like quote unquote vanquishes it, you finally get just a little glimpse inside the dragon's head from Pratchett. Mm. um, And you, you are told that there is like you're sort of led to believe that the the supreme grandmaster is like is this dragon like becomes this dragon and that's just who the dragon is but it's clear that there are like two wills warring within this dragon there's like the person who has summoned it and then there's the dragon itself okay because dragons just kind of disappeared one day like big big dragons and they just haven't been around in a long time so especially especially not in cities. So it's just sort of a thing that doesn't happen anymore. Okay. Dragon attacks. Sure. Um, so the puppet king gets set up. There is a, the coronation is about to happen, but you flash to this like dragon's will again, and it's like, man, I wish I was back in that city eating people without that stupid little voice in my head. And he, because he's been summoned so many times, like perhaps a reckless number of times by these like amateur resentful wizards, he sort of traces back the path that he had been summoned 
by and uses it to like manifest himself. But now he's like independent. Oh no. Of anybody's control. And he sort of torches the place Yee. and becomes king. He is Whoa. the king now. <laughs> king Dragon is here oh, now. Oh no. King Koopa. <laughs> kind of. How big is he? How big is this dragon? He's a big dragon. He, like, if, I don't know, imagine like a big church. Okay. And then like a big dragon standing on top of it. That's the dragon is talked about standing on top of churches and buildings and stuff a lot. <laughs> so that's mostly my sense of, of scale. I, I found it while I was researching. Um, I found it interesting that th- there is a, a 93 book that Pratchett put out called the streets of Ankh Morpork. That's basically like a map of like geography and stuff. Um, and after that book came out, he made more of an effort to at least make sure that the layout of Ankh-Morpork was described consistently in his books to give readers more of a sense of place. Yes. And that's good to know because I didn't really have a great sense of place in this book where it's mostly just a dragon like being on top of a building and then he destroys a bunch of buildings but then he's on top of another one and there's always more buildings to like be on top of and to destroy and everything just kind of exists in space as it needs to. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. it's. Um, a, I, I think I read he based it on a mix of a city, Taylin in Estonia, Prague, a mix of like London, Seattle and New York city. So really just like pulling in whatever he needed to, to make the city work. Yeah, and he he to his you know in his defense he does he describes it as being this giant like patchwork of of different neighborhoods and and you know what Ankh-Morpork is built on top of at this point is Ankh-Morpork like people yeah, just kept yeah. building on top of the old stuff because the river keeps flooding and it's not built on stone it's not like built on a firm foundation which is some symbolism I suppose mm-hmm. um but this dragon becomes king. Okay. And Vimes has... Because at this coronation, he is he is convinced that this dragon is going to come back. Like, he... The dragon disappeared, but they... Everybody... They're on the watch. They're all like... Wouldn't there have been, like, chunks? Shouldn't there have been, like, dragon bits everywhere if this dragon had really been killed? Because they were reading this the, a book that um, Ramkin... The lady Ramkin had about like the health problems of dragons that makes them basically sound like bags of gasoline that are always one disease away from completely exploding. Same. And they do leave, yeah, same. And they do leave, uh, they leave remnants behind when that happens. Like a beached so a, whale, I would imagine. Yeah. When those yeah, like if a dra- if a, yeah, if a dragon get killed, shouldn't there be dragon everywhere? But there wasn't. He just poofed. Uh. Um, so, uh, Vimes is on Hyler, this coronation. He thinks he sees a dragon like flying out of some fog, but it's just a crow. He is sort of dismissed in disgrace from the guards. Oh no. <laughs> um, cause it, it, and then the dragon comes and the dragon becomes king. And it turns out that the guy who had like summoned the dragon, the Supreme Grand Master of the unique and Supreme Lodge of the Elucidated Brethren of the Even Knight was like the patrician's right-hand man and sort of the guy who oversaw the guards. Oh, okay. And so Vimes really, you know, the dragon's back. Vimes gets it into his head that he wants to be a hero. Um, He, I don't know, he challenges this guy and 
Errol the little dragon fights the big dragon and it turns out that the fight was just a complex mating ritual and so they fly off to be together. Oh no! And the patrician who when he was overthrown was thrown in the dungeon but he was fine because he had trained a bunch of rats to like bring him books and food and stuff so he was living comfortably and he in fact felt very in control of the whole situation the whole time asks the guards you know you you actually got rid of this dragon and you saved you saved Anka Morpork what do you want and they negotiate a modest salary increase and a replace for a replacement for a kettle that arrow the dragon ate and a dartboard for their headquarters Okay, and that's kind of the <laughs> that's kind of the book. That's a good plot wise, uh-huh. theme theme wise. So, yeah, what's it we, about? You know, you're asking about Vimes a lot, and trying kind of the nature of what heroism is in mm, this mm-hmm. in this book. Um, this is the patrician talking to Vimes, sort of in the, you know, just post the dragon being vanquished. Um, I believe you find life such a problem because you think there are the good people and the bad people you're wrong of course there are always and only the bad people but some of them are on opposite sides he waved his thin hand toward the city and walked over to the window a great rolling sea of evil he said almost proprietorially (laughs) that's that's pratchettism right there is to take a word that's actually a word and sort of twist it in a way that ties your tongue up a little bit Shallower in some places, of course, but deeper, oh, so much deeper in others. But people like you put together little rafts of rules and vaguely good intentions and say, this is the opposite. This will triumph in the end. Amazing. He slapped Vimes good-naturedly on the back. Down there, he said, are people who will follow any dragon, worship any god, ignore any iniquity, all out of a kind of humdrum everyday badness. Not the really high creative loathsomeness of the great sinners, but a sort of mass-produced darkness of the soul. Sin, you might say, without a trace of originality. They accept evil not because they say yes, but because they don't say no. I'm sorry if this offends you, he added, patting the captain's shoulder, but you fellows really need us. You see, uh, we're the only ones who know how to make things work. The only thing the good people are good at is overthrowing the bad people, and you're good at that, I'll grant you, but the trouble is that it's the only thing you're good at. One day, it's the ringing of the bells and the casting down of the evil tyrant, and the next, it's everyone sitting around complaining that ever since the tyrant was overthrown, no one's been taking out the trash. Because the bad people know how to plan. It's part of the specification, you might say. Every evil tyrant has a plan to rule the world. The good people don't seem to have the knack. Okay, that took a turn into, like, you know, the wolf and the sheepdog punching clocks a little bit. <laughs> but I get the 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 earlier passage really like rings like that makes that that feels like something to say with your book about heroes in a land without heroes you know yeah and and i think it it feels relevant in a in a country with a political system where you know whether it's justified or not a lot of people feel that they're constantly asked to pick Mm. the the lesser of two evils that's a good point the the least bad of many bad options <laughs> and there are many bad options and there are many the bad time. options I, I i you know maintain that the lesser of two evils is still less evil but you know obviously not an ideal situation <laughs> no that's true that's true and and for me the the part about you know good people 
wanting to get rid of the bad people, but then not having a plan to execute on after that also kind of rings true to me. Yeah, that's that. true. Well, yeah. and and what it it feels okay. That was what was pulling my ear. But now that I think about it more, the part where he's like being, you know, you have to have you have to be able to plan. You have to have a plan that's part of the job specification or whatever it is. Like that does feel like a there's a certain cravenness that it takes sometimes to acquire power that lots of stories and lots of real life bears out like people who don't have that are maybe like better people morally but then are not equipped to actually even aspire to a position of power because they're just <laughs> like why wouldn't why why wouldn't do that here have my shirt like have what do you need have some food <laughs> i would never be in charge of you why um because there's like a cunning that that can feel at odds with with values of generosity or goodness or things like that. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's just it's you know, obviously as I've read this, my my mind has been in a lot of different places just because of real world events and that. Yeah. Sure. And be- because Pratchett is sort of disjointed by design, it, it makes it a little bit harder for me to like bring I don't know it makes it harder for me to to have a very smart sounding discussion about this book I really enjoyed it I think um to talk about how Pratchett gets like just basic fantasy trope stuff right just like reading descriptions of this dragon flying around and doing stuff it turned in a tight circle pounded the air a few times to build up speed and came back when it passed over the watch house it coughed a column of spitting white fire tiles under it didn't just melt they erupted in red hot droplets the chimney stack exploded and rained bricks across the street vast wings hammered at the air as the creature hovered over the burning building fire spearing down on what rapidly became a glowing heap then when all that was left was a spreading puddle of melted rock with interesting streaks and bubbles in it the dragon raised itself with a contemptuous flick of its wings and soared away and upward over the city so that's like that sounds like a really good dm like describing a thing that a dragon is doing sure to like kind of set the scene and make you spooked a little bit well kind of like set the kind of make the stakes serious even though the story is still silly yeah and it's not it's like it's not just oh the dragon's breathing fire it's the dragon the dragon's breathing fire and like this is what it's literally doing to the parts of the building that you experience as a person on the ground like that's just Mm -hmm. solid stuff that's pretty good um Huh. Okay. I buy that. But it's like it's a it's a pretty fast and silly read and if you don't like it, you can bounce and if you do like <laughs> it, there are like seven or eight <laughs> more things to read. Were there were any other like funny things that are worth mentioning? I know this is the show our show never does great by just like let me tell you this funny thing in this book, but is there anything else you want to give like a quick shout out to? Um I mean, if I read just like every good one liner, we would be here for another yes, hour sure, 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 but it's just little stuff like you had to hand it to the patrician. he admitted grudgingly if you didn't, he sent men to come and take it away, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, like it takes a an established idiom, and then. Like when you say you gotta hand it to somebody, nobody's really thinking about like it being. Yes. Unimportant. Like it's not important what it is. It's important that you are making some comment about the person who is being handed it. Correct. Correct. This is like, what if it was literally a thing that you had to hand to somebody 
and somebody could come and take it from you if you didn't hand it to them. That's good. That's good. Um, man, I didn't even talk about, I'm sure we'll get mean tweets about not talking about the librarian who runs the library that this dragon summoning book was stolen from. Well, now we're not going to get them because you're going to talk about them very briefly. It's, it's a librarian who is turned into an ape. Whoa. And he is he only speaks in ooks and eeks, but everybody can kind of understand him like a Chewbacca or R2-D2 type. There's okay. some more Star Wars references for you, you bunch of dumb nerds. <laughs> um... <laughs> Does the does the ape librarian like wear clothes or just like No, he just he just an ape, but he is given he is sort of deputized by Vimes into the into the watch. <laughs> and there's this whole sequence where to track down who took the book, he he goes into like L space, which is this way that Pratchett has of so remember that used bookstore that we went into in New Orleans? Like yes. not the nice one, but the the weird, weird no, like labyrinthine the, one. The one where, where I we found, found that, the like, where we found the Fritz the yeah. Fritz the Cat comic. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. He talks about like the weirdos who run those <laughs> kinds of stores and how they're all filled with these like doors and hallways that don't seem like they go anywhere. And it's because some of them go into places where you can bend the laws of space and time. Oh, okay. And so there's this whole side story where the librarian is is doing this. Uh, you can't call you don't call him a monkey because he'll get really mad at you and beat you up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He seems like a decent sort. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. I can hear it in your voice. You've been reading this book. Um, I'll just give a shout out to there's an article from uh, on NPR called There's No Wrong Place to Start Reading Pratchett by Tasha Robinson. Um, this book was mentioned in there along with Equal Rights, spelled R-I-T-E-S, R-I-T-E-S yeah. which is a book about the first female wizard in Discworld. Um, <laughs> uh, but... Tasha Robinson says, um, you know, all Pratchett fans have their favorites and least favorites in the series and the debate can get contentious or devolve into thoughtful disagreement that leaves newbies looking over dozens of well-justified conflicting opinions with no clearer mandate than they had going in. Uh, That lack of consensus can be intimidating, but at least the fans have good intentions. They're just trying to protect newcomers from possible tripwires. And they go on to say that, like, if you start too early, the voice isn't there. If you start too late, the mythos is too big. This seems yeah. like a good on-ramp because it's in between the two. But then Robin says, asking what book will let me know what the series is like is like what single fruit will help me learn if I like fruit. <laughs> like, <laughs> which I thought was a really good way to kind of sum up the appeal of Discworld. I think we hit all of the things I found in some reviews of this book of like, if you like character growth, if you like strong leadership characters, if you like cop stories um then maybe you'll dig guards guards yeah and i think if you are like if if you do want to be a completionist but you still don't want to start at number one and this goes for our podcast too i think once you start somewhere in the middle and work your way up you can go back to earlier books knowing what you like the series for already and you can appreciate those books more as just like kind of thinking about how stories work and, and, and observing yourself, like what is working and what isn't like what Pratchett, what threads he keeps pulling on and what kind of falls away. Um, I think that's, it's interesting in the context of like TV because all the time 
you will watch a TV show where the first season just is not working. Yes. But it went on to become this huge, like, monstrous thing. I think Seinfeld, your favorite television program. It is one of your my top absolute three favorite television TV programs. Shows. Yes. That's a that's a prime example, I think, of a show that was not, like, even for the first couple of years, was not really what it would become. But Seasons two and three are very good. I don't know what you're sort talking of about. Academically interesting to watch that first one and see what stuck and what didn't. Oh, yeah, when it was going to be called The Seinfeld Chronicles. Yeah. Eat, eat my butt. That was a stupid name for a show. <laughs> the Seinfeld Chronicles. Anyway, Andrew, thanks for telling me about Guards, Guards by Terry Welcome. Pratchett. I did it. You did do it. Thanks for reading that book and tell me about it. Um, thanks to our listeners who have been reaching out to us in the past week, letting us know that they are listening to the show and helping and using the show to, like, find a sense of normalcy someone was saying they were listening to our book while they were homeschooling their kids which is like good on you good luck i hope we did okay um but (laughs) it's been very flattering and heartwarming to hear from folks i know stuff with the COVID 19 outbreak is just really terrible and tough um and we're all here for each other and i hope y'all are safe as you listen to this yeah gang it's been a real rough week on on my end like tv the TV thing aside, that's like the the easiest to deal with no. stuff. So um, yeah, we're all so yeah. It's it's nice to to hear that people are enjoying the show and that it's helping them get through a hard time. And, and your comments help us get through a hard time. So we'll all be here for each other. We are all here for each other, especially folks who reach out to us on twitter.com slash overduepod <laughs> or facebook.com slash overduepod, including Celeste, Books to Watch, James, Cody, Andy Rue, Stephanie, Sarah, Hannah, Kate, Lucas, John, Nathan, Riley, and Yeti, who, God, just was very excited about an episode with Margaret. And like, you don't need to say out loud that you like more Margaret stuff because that's just dangerous. If you say it three times... <laughs> then she'll appear uh you could also and you have to compliment whatever she's wearing and she, before she'll disappear back into the ether that's the high fidelity episode of folks need it um <laughs> you can send us an email about this episode or any other one at overduepod at gmail.com facebook i said that andrew what's the website my brain overduepodcast.com is our website go there and see all the stuff we got including apple podcast links google play links rss links get new episodes whenever they come out we have no plans as of this time to uh to change our like production or release schedule in this any way we're gonna, train we're gonna keeps on rolling the books keeps, keep coming pages keep turning governors in all 50 states have designated our podcast as an essential service and so <laughs> we will be continuing to provide new episodes on schedule heck yeah for the duration i hope that's the plan um we've also got a page patreon.com slash overdue pod it's pod right yeah it's pod it's pod um if you subscribe there you can get bonus episodes early including uh as we coast into the end of our divine comedy series hellboys yep uh those which we're going to record another one soon, probably. Yep. Next week, I will be talking about The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. Should be a fun one. Um, that's it. That's the show. Oh, okay, everybody. Hang in there. And we'll do the same. And until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. Thank you.
That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>